Hey friends, it's Melvin. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Here's just a few quick things I wanted to notify you guys about before we get started. First up, very soon, new episodes will be releasing Wednesday mornings rather than Tuesday. So don't panic if you don't see a new episode on Tuesday. Just wait a little longer and you'll see it in your feed. Second, we've introduced a mailbag. Check those show notes and toward the bottom you'll see a mailbag link. You'll then be able to text us any questions you might have about movies, the movie industry, or any movie-slash-Christian-related questions you might have. Then we'll respond in a future episode, so send us your questions now. Up next, Patreon polls, which are available to Patreon supporters at the $3 tier or higher, have been updated. Supporters can now suggest films or shows to be reviewed at the end of each month. The two most liked submissions will become the options for the Patreon poll, so if you want to hear us talk about your favorite movie or show, join our Patreon and start campaigning. And lastly, whether you're a new or long-time listener, please consider writing a review or rating the Cinematic Doctrine podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Apart from financially supporting on Patreon, these are the two most helpful ways to support the show. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. Hi, my name's Melvin, and we still spooking it up in here. Welcome to Cinematic Doctrine, a Christian podcast service that seeks to encourage and equip Christians to engage and reform the culture of cinema. In this episode, Carter and I are talking about Scott Derrickson's Sinister. Are you enjoying your October? I know I am. It's been so nice watching the leaves change their color have a chilly breeze through the open windows, and eat copious amounts of candy when nobody's looking. I've eaten just so many crunch bars. <laughs> Last week we had a great time talking with Logan Sharp of The Reformed Gamers about the South Korean zombie film Train to Busan. This week we're coming back stateside for Sinister, another fun, accessible, and tame horror flick that we feel fits the spooky Halloween spirit just right. As we get things started, Carter and I talk about Sinister's clever pacing and parallels, how we often view our history and hopes with rose-colored glasses, and the dangers of chasing nostalgia rather than focusing on our responsibilities. Following that, we discuss some trivia about the conception of Sinister, and give a bit of love to film over digital in the movie-making field. We also lament the transition to digital, even if it is more cost-effective. And lastly, during our spoiler discussion, Carter talks about how easy our temptations can manipulate us. And I posit another message within Sinister's subtext, while also scratching my head about the resolution of the film. Without further ado, here's our discussion on Sinister. So if my voice is bad today, it's because it's been a long day. No, it's been a really long week. So hopefully it's not too distracting but i'm pretty sure i even noticed that it's cracked twice already so <laughs> if anyone's just like you know what i'm not gonna make excuses if you like the show you're gonna listen to this episode <laughs> that's just that's just how it is so uh but you guys can be happy that carter's voice sounds just wonderful carter why don't you go ahead and say something let people know how, how just wonderful your voice is Melvin, it means so much coming for you. This is uh, Carter Bennett, and you know what? I am I'm really excited to talk sinister with you, man. I'm, I'm excited about this conversation that we're gonna have. I really feel like yeah, me too. I, f- I feel like we're talking about a feature length creepy pasta. I don't even know really what creepy pastas are. Oh, uh, we'll get into. I it. I just know what they're like. I know the feeling, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited to catch up. Excited to jump into this movie, man. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I th- I have a really interesting history with this movie, which kind of goes in theme with the movie itself. 
So that's going to be really fun for us to get into. And I just, uh, I just, I just love horror movies, man. I just, it feels so good to talk about horror movies on the podcast. I feel like it's sometimes tough. We didn't put this in the show notes and we're not going to linger on it too much, but it's like tough to like in Christian circles, talk about horror movies. <laughs> there's my voice cracking again. It's just tough. Cause like, you know, there's a lot of like, I, I think there's a lot of fair criticism for horror movies because they've been used as sort of like an exploitation field, you know, like a lot of really crass material. There's a lot of nudity. There's a lot of graphic violence that sort of dehumanizes people, which is all very, both of those is very much against like honoring people as image bearers. Right. And so I get it. But I also really like the mystery thriller excitement of horror movies. And when they have neither the exploitation of people in nudity or the exploitation of people in violence, man, I just have a good time. So, so I'm just, I'm glad to be talking sinister, dude. I'm just so excited. Dude. I, I think that, in, you know, and, and I, I've, I've done this, I've perpetrated this myself, but it's, it's funny in Christian circles. You're right. There is this, air of horror movie bad horror right. movie you know just it's just bad and it's like there's there's more nuance to be had with this with this conversation and horror movies are fascinating because they you know there's there's the extreme but then there's also horror movies that that use some kind of uh entity or or whatever we want to call it uh to to kind of get to a very very human and very very real um, mm -hmm. and very kind of and just emotional state that most people know. And so I think that's, yeah. I, I'm with you, man. Like horror movies are really interesting to dive into. Obviously there's wisdom to be had there, but absolutely, man, I, I wish, I wish we could have more conversations about horror movies. If horror movies challenge you in the sense of like, they're offensive to you. Don't watch them. It's that simple. I, I do not want to encourage people who, uh, if you're curious, so you're curious about horror movies. That's why you started this episode. Maybe you started it because you've seen the sinister or you're just interested, but if you're just curious about horror movies and, and it actually is something that you're terrified of and you find that it'll hurt you, like literally like I, people sometimes get like bothered by the idea that art can hurt people, but it can, it, it can, <laughs> like if, if you find that that would happen, then don't do it. That's, it is not good to go against your conscience most of the time, <laughs> biblically speaking, um, your conscience is one of the barriers that the Lord introduces for your safety. And so don't feel like we're advocating that it, everyone should watch horror movies. Honestly, not everybody should watch romantic comedies. Not everybody should watch thrillers. Not everybody should watch uh, documentaries, I guess. I don't know. It's not like everything's free reign in that sense. I mean, what is it? Paul's like, everything is pro not everything's pro everything's accessible, but not everything's profitable, that kind of thing. Man, Sometimes it's just not profitable. Like Christian romance books, not profitable, guys. Stop <laughs> buying them. <laughs> so, oh, man. What are you talking about, man? That's uh, that second to the Bible. You're that's right. where I get my theology. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> okay. So the director of Sinister is Scott Derrickson. He has directed Doctor Strange and The Day the Earth Stood Still remake that everybody loves. Uh, Melvin told me to <laughs> say that, hey, this is the one that everybody no. forgot about. You know, I saw this in the I saw it in theaters. Me too. I can't believe I saw it in theaters, but I did. With, with Keanu, <laughs> man. That feels like mm -hmm. a different life. Um, it does. But, it does. You know, 
it's it's the most celebrated movie of the 21st century oh my gosh uh, <laughs> but yeah he, he he did dr strange the writer is c robert cargill also wrote um dr strange and sinister 2 wah, wah, and some <laughs> did some co-writing from scott derrickson himself we also have ethan hawk of uh first reformed and boyhood Juliet Rylance, A Dog's Purpose, James Ransom, It Chapter 2, and some brief scenes with Vincent D'Onofrio, uh, Law and Order, Criminal Intent, and Jurassic World. And for those Kubrick lovers out there, Full Metal Jacket. That's um, right. That, that's our cast right there. And so the synopsis of Sinister is this. A true crime novelist, Ellison Oswalt and his family have come upon hard times. It's been 10 years since his breakout true crime novel, Kentucky Blood, released to rave success, helped make an innocent man free and gave Ellison and his family the freedom and status that riches so often provide. But his last few books, both fiction and nonfiction, haven't been selling well. He he knows he could transition to editing college textbooks or overseeing publications as a consultant, but what he wants is to capture the excitement and joy of Kentucky blood, even if it means investigating what may be the most grisly true crime case of his life. Ellison plans to investigate the tragic tale of a missing child, Stephanie, whose family was found dead hanging by a tree. He believes, through clever investigative practices and independent research, he can not only find out the reason for the family's horrifying murders, but also whether Stephanie is still alive. But there's something strange about the Oswalds' new home. The house was supposed to be empty, cleaned out for its new tenants, but there's a little black box in the attic. <laughs> never gets, never yeah, gets, never good, never good sign. <laughs> no. <laughs> Within a Super 8 camera, beside a collection of home movies titled Pool Party and Lawn Work, <laughs> dating back decades. Those videos do not just, you know, they're not your typical <laughs> pool party and That's lawn right. work videos. That's right. <laughs> Ellison, curious about the tapes and wondering if they have any relevancy to his investigation, sets up the camera, attaches the first reel, and starts the machine. Soon, Ellison starts to see a horrifying connection between these ominous home videos and his investigation. And he tries everything he can to connect the dots in pursuit of what may be his best true crime novel yet. Yeah, so the, uh, looking at Sinister, our MPAA rating is that Sinister is rated R for disturbing violent images and some terror. So the film's lead character is a true crime, no- crime novelist. So there are scenes that include images of dead bodies as well as some videos like the home videos. These are all put together through practical effects and movie magic, as they say, but that doesn't make them any less graphic. Also, this film has been described as having snuff-style death scenes. In other words, it imitates the kind of killings that feel very realistic in DIY. If you've ever had the misfortune of witnessing a death or watching the news, like where the showrunner forgets to cut the video feed before something violent or fatal happens, it's got that kind of aesthetic going on with the horrifying deaths in this movie. So it, that, that, can be, that can be challenging. Also, the film involves families and missing children. So the disturbing and violent images and some terror as described in the certificate at times involves minors. It's not particularly graphic, but that is still present. There's also some language involving the S-word and one muffled use of the F-word and a few other minor curses. Also some profanity with regards to the Lord's name. This is also one of those movies with jump scares, and I have to say they're some of the most blatant and exploitative uses of audio levels ever, worse than Tenet. These jump scares (laughs) are absurdly manipulative in terms of loud noises, so they're more stupid than they are frightening. To me, they they were just like, I mean, I just didn't even react, so they, they they were annoying. 
A character drinks a lot of alcohol. There's a scene where a character kills a scorpion. I'm nearly positive the scorpion is CGI. I didn't have actually time to investigate whether or not that is true or not. But the remains of it being crushed are shown, albeit in a dark room, Lord willing, hopefully practical. The reason I emphasize that is because under the pretense that it may be a real scorpion, this is difficult to watch purely because of the killing of a live creature for a film, in, in my opinion, is a gross affront to the creation mandate visible in Genesis 128, in which man is supposed to take care of and subdue like the earth and take care of animals. So having an animal, like a live animal just to kill it, that would be really, that, that to me is really wrong. Like I said, I don't think it is. I'm pretty sure it's CGI. It barely moves. And when it does move, it looks a little funky. So yeah, uh, that shows a bit of my sensibilities talking about a horror movie and I'm more worried about a scorpion. There's a scene at a pool party where characters are in swimwear. So that's you know important to be aware of. And lastly, some people may not be comfortable with this film's use of the paranormal, occult, or supernatural as a plot device. So if those particular narrative choices are bothersome or offensive to you, then now you know to watch out for that. And so, guys, this is the fa- this is everybody's favorite part of any podcast. <laughs> it's my favorite it is part. Our, <laughs> it's our call to action. And you know what's funny, uh, Melvin? Before this, he actually told me he's like, "Hey, Carter, you know, you know me. You know how humble I am. You know that I don't want you to. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. I don't want any glory. I don't want anybody to know where they can find me. I just want this to be a blessing. But I want people to know where they can find you, Melvin. So <laughs> I want them to know that." You, you can leave a review on iTunes, Podchaser, or wherever you listen. Um, you can follow our social media, Cinematic Doctrine, on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can also join the Facebook group titled uh, Cinematic Doctrine Group. It's a lot of fun, a lot of stuff that mm-hmm. goes on there. It's really cool. Um, lots of great conversations. You can also check out other shows under, under the same feed. We have great shows like Trailer Talk and monthly movie news and really love kind of diving into just the different aspects of the film industry. Yeah. Um, also check out the website, cinematicdoctrine.com. There's a uh, written content. Usually there will be um, content on uh, big things happening in the movie industry or uh, trailers, things like that. You can also support us on Patreon as low as $3 a month. Doing this allows you to gain access to our exclusive voting privileges and deciding a movie we discuss at the end of each month. And our exclusive podcast show called The Pre-Show. It's a really a free-form show that takes takes a look at life, life on life discussions, Christianity, and and just kind of a more free-flowing conversation on on things we love to like movies. So check those out, guys. And Melvin, you know we're talking about Sinister. Mm-hmm. We've got the call to action out of the way. I'm wondering. <laughs> I'm I'm wondering where, you know, is this in your upper echelon of horror films? I know you're a big horror fan. I I can't I can't measure up to your level of horror <laughs> fanaticism. Um uh, but, you know, is this upper echelon horror? Is this mid-tier or is this lower tier for you? Where where does this stand? I think what's nice about this is like just with this movie with Sinister, I don't even have to get into spoilers to explain what I enjoy about it. And so Whoever hasn't seen Sinister and is listening to this episode, you know, be glad. We're not covering spoilers here at the beginning, and we're just going to be going right into it. And I can tell you everything that I enjoy about this movie, starting really with my experience with Sinister. I mean, like, I 
just to kind of give you a spoiler in the sense of where I land on this movie, like where does it go on my tier list? I think it's kind of like smack dab in the middle, but a little up, especially now after this this third time watching it. Yes, you have heard that right. That I have seen this movie three times. Um, the first time I saw it was at a friend's house, and it was kind of during the time that I didn't really watch horror movies. It's not that I was afraid to or that I wasn't allowed to. Um, maybe I wasn't allowed to when I was a kid. I mean, that makes sense. At this point, I was probably in middle school and was a little more understanding of like, you know, it's not real. And I think I enjoyed it. But like some memories, I just don't really remember the vibe. However, there was a couple of years later when a friend of mine really wanted to check it out. And this same friend is kind of like the friend that got me into a lot of horror movies and a lot of found footage horror in particular. This was like very early on as I started to get more into movies. He was like, hey, I want to check out Sinister. And I'm like, that sounds great. So we checked it out. And, you know, you talked about creepypasta in the beginning. This was also around the time that I was really digging into creepypasta. And for anyone who doesn't know, creepypasta is basically like internet folklore. It's just this story that is a creepy story and you would paste it over all over. Like you would already have it saved and you'd paste it somewhere. So creepy pasta, you copy paste it. And you kind of just share these around. They're like just campfire stories, except you have them on at night after your late shift. And it's like two in the morning and you you don't know what to do. You still got coffee in your system. So, and there are some really good creepypasta and they're typically very like mystery built. They're very like in, interactive and they have this nostalgia atmosphere to it almost all the time. And so does Sinister. Sinister is a mystery movie. I mean, the, the description alone tells you that there's some investigation going on. There's a crime that needs to be solved. And then it's about finding Super 8 reels. And for film people, that's very retro. <laughs> I mean, the introduction, of, uh, the introduction of the Super 8 camera was basically independent filmmakers can just go off and do their own thing. They're very limiting. But you could become inventive and create your own sort of thing. And so there's a lot of nostalgia present, which to me feels a lot like creepypasta. So that second time was like we were watching it like at at the prime way to watch it. It was very much about mysteries. Very much. Very cool. So now we're at my third time watching it, which is this week. And I guess it's last week when this episode goes up. But it's Wednesday night. It's super late at night. <laughs> Uh, my wife hadn't seen Sinister yet. I said, like, you know, it's a pretty good one. Ethan Hawke kills it in this movie. He does a good time just acting his heart out as he does. As he does. <laughs> so, But she had a women's meeting thing, went a little late, came home, and then we talked for like an hour. So we didn't start this movie until 10.30 p.m. And the runtime's like an hour and 50 minutes. <laughs> and so we were up pretty late. So you add in bathroom breaks. Catherine wanted to make a mug brownie. And Peacock has commercials. We were watching it free on Peacock. So we were up pretty late. It was like 1, 1 o'clock, 1.30 when we went to bed. Um, but that didn't tarnish my experience. In fact, I think that this was my favorite time watching it. And that's why I think when I think about where it lands on my horror experience, it's pretty high up. You know, thinking about this film being kind of a nostalgia criticism somewhat. And like I saw this film a few times in my life in the past once during middle school and once during high school with a friend um, who really kind of ingrained like a love for horror and folklore. There was like a meta enjoyment I had watching Sinister because like, like this time around, the way Sinister balances its nostalgia and like its rekindling of the past was just really interesting to me. I mean, like I said, Super 8 style, just the way Super 8 and, the, and it was shot in Super 8. So like it, it just exudes so much nostalgia in that way. 
uh, Ellison watching one home video after another, <laughs> like, the, like this, a like madman. Yeah, like that sick interest, and he just keeps going. Just feels a lot like what you do when you when you first kind of get into horror. You're like, I kind of want to watch more. There's the untangling mystery of the Super 8 reels, which felt very similar to watching like YouTube alternate reality horror games, which sounds like a lot to people who don't understand what I just said. But basically, there were these YouTube series that were like found footage stories and something scary was always happening. But like you would get new updates every couple days or weeks and you could kind of investigate along with the person. And it wasn't real. It was a story. But because it was acting like it was real through vlogs. The comment sections were like people being like, but did you did you see that this person was in the background? Did you? It's really interesting. And that's also, like I said, around the time of creepypasta, which again is just basically like internet folklore. And so there's that kind of nostalgia thing going on. And then like this film is so much about nostalgia and kind of like having a love for these good things in the past while juxtaposing it with horrible things in the past. And so then for me, just having seen this movie when I was a teenager, which is both really cool and then also miserable to be a teenager, it was just a really interesting experience. So my meta experience with this movie was great. I think because I have this, like, I just have a really interesting relationship with this movie, knowing that the subtext of this movie is about like overzealous worship of good things in the past at the ex at the expense of rationally solving problems in the current future or in the current day, as well as like trying to not look at the past with rose colored glasses. My relationship with this movie is just really strangely personal. <laughs> and I almost found it like criticizing my enjoyment. Like the film itself was criticizing the fact that I was enjoying it at the same time. Does that make any sense? Anyways, it's just really interesting to me. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed this a whole lot. I think it kind of nailed itself higher on my list. I do think that there's some dumb stuff in this movie. That's really the fault of it being a Blumhouse movie. I think there are some scenes that are like a haunted house but a dumb haunted house that's mostly just people playing hide and seek <laughs> and it's just really stupid. I, I could keep going and you know I could keep going and listeners know I could keep going, but I don't need to keep going. I like this movie. I think I think my relationship with it is a bit personal, even if I don't think it's a great movie. I think it's a very good movie, a very clever movie at times, even though at sometimes it's also a Blumhouse movie, so it is a little dumb. But otherwise, pretty solid. What about you, Carter? Yeah, Melvin, I really like the point that you brought up, uh, specifically that point that the movie is uh, – almost making fun of its viewers as it's, as it's satirizing its, its own main character. Um, yeah. and what I mean by that is, you know, our, we, we as humans, not just American culture, I mean, everybody, we love salacious stories. We love things that show us the, the dark side of, of humanity in a, in a strange way. That's why we're so obsessed with uh, serial killers and, and all that stuff. And I, I feel like you know, what we, what we have with Ethan Hawke's character and Ellison is this guy who is obsessed with watching these grainy and you know, when they're grainy, you know, it's something, yeah. so, yep. you know, these grainy <laughs> videos that show some pretty, uh, brutal, brutal murders. And it's, it's really playing on that almost. And this is a unique connection, almost like how Inglorious Bastards makes fun of, uh, how we kind of love violence, how how, right. how we as humans love watching violence. I mean, we see that at the end of Inglorious Bastards, just the it's uh, 
brought to its ultimate. Um, I, uh, yeah, it is like <laughs> you know <laughs> that ending. <laughs> yeah, it, and it's 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 so over the top, and and I feel like in 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 the same way as, as this movie was going, which I I really do enjoy. I think it's a just a solid you know right down the middle genre thriller. I lo- mm-hmm. and, and I really do think that this was probably the movie that got Scott Derrickson. Uh, Doctor Strange. Oh yeah, and and so it's 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 just a it's a fun movie to watch. It's it's fun to be a little scared sometimes, and I think this movie mm-hmm. does that well. But you know that the the thing that really stuck out to me was just the how how it's kind of satirizing our desire for salacious things. We love l- l- looking up news from TMZ or or hearing the the, the most salacious news, and I'm I'm saying that more in our flesh. Um, right, that's what we enjoy, and right. I think. This this movie really hits on that that the, the that history and specifically the the bloodier parts of history are things we've forgotten about in America. Mm-hmm. It's it's not the exception. It's 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 the reality. And America has not been perfect, but we've we've seen a a marked difference from what we've seen in in the rest of history. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's this awareness of like when we sort sort of engage history. When we think about not just our history at large, so like the history of our state or the history of our nation, but our own personal history, we can sometimes see like these are times of joy amidst sadness. I mean, I just joked about my personal engagement with this, which is literally like I remember being a teenager watching this. So like I enjoyed it as a teenager, but also I was a teenager, which means I was angsty and sad all the time. Um, (laughs) I was I was a Radiohead kid, guys. So I just (laughs) I just I was a kid a person, not an okay computer one, but kid a still pretty dour too. And you know, that is, I think, the, one of the most powerful scenes in the movie that emphasizes this reality is when Ellison is watching an interview tape that he has. He has, a, um, just like how there's a collection of these Super 8 tapes, Ellison personally owns a lot of interview tapes that he has that he recorded of when he did interviews for Kentucky Blood. And he's watching it and kind of reminiscing about the glory days of when he was successful. But he's not happy because he's watching it and realizing that like one of the questions he's asked, he answers it with a total lie and he knows that he's lying. And there's this deep unsettling experience that he's having while watching this at, to the point that you're like, why is he why is he doing this to himself? Why is he watching something that he knows is going to upset him because he knows like what's taking place is actually – horrible and that's what he does the whole movie the super eights are all these horrible things and like you're saying there's sort of this fascination for the salacious i mean uh, you talked about even the flesh i'll even say like not not necessarily this is still i think flesh a fleshly response to to the bible where like a christian brother is like oh i love judges because it's so violent (laughs) i don't i don't love judges because it's violent i love judges because it's raw Raw is totally different. The violence in Judges is horrible. It's it is so hard to read, especially the last five chapters. But I like that it's raw because there's this reality of like without God, we're horrible. <laughs> we we fall apart one generation, and and we need that. Yeah, and you need this. You need that sign. We we need that serrated edge. We we need that right. serrated edge that really 
Uh, be, because if we don't, you know, if we're talking about the fear of God, if we don't understand first and foremost the, the, the God we're talking about, the holy, righteous, just God who can wipe us out in a moment, we won't understand his grace. And so I, I love right. how, you know, and, and I think a movie like this is is a really good example of putting putting too much of our hope in the past, putting too much of our hope yes. in, or, or putting placing our happiness in the hands of the past instead of being present, e- even in the midst of struggle and enduring, just, just forgetting yeah, enduring and 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 forgetting that to to experience the good, we we have to endure the bad. We have to endure the, the tough seasons. So is this? So do you not watch a lot of horror movies? Then it sounded like you were saying this, and your your enjoyment of this movie was a bit unexpected. You know, I, I've actually this is actually the first time I've seen Sinister, and I was always really fascinated. And I mean, the marketing really hooked me as a thirteen or fourteen year old. Uh, when it came out in 2012, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I had always wanted to watch, it and I, I, I really have nothing against horror films. There's cer- there's certain horror films that I just couldn't, in good conscience, watch. But right, I, I kind of love, in, in a strange way, the feeling of being unsettled, um, and it and it reminds me again of who who the victor is. It makes me so thankful that in a lot of these movies, evil wins, and, and it can be disheartening. So that's why I, I think I've limited. My intake of, of horror movies, I, I'm, yeah. I'm more of a, I love the crime films, I love westerns, I, dramas, things like that. But horror is fascinating, not not really a niche, but it's it's a fascinating nook in the the film world because you can really have some, I mean, some of our greatest auteurs, you know, past and present, they have made an all-time great horror film. You look at Stanley Cooper's The Shining or Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, you know, Psycho, these, these guys, they, and, <laughs> and I think a, there's a lot of, uh, a, a great director really knows how to build suspense. And so that's mm-hmm. already in their language. And then, so making that transition to horror is not that hard. I think we saw that even in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where in that Spawn Ranch scene, there's a lot of uh, horror elements to it. And yes, it's just interesting that the language of horror is so fascinating. I, it's kind of fun to be scared and, and also know that, God is God is the victor. I mean, I, yeah, it would be tough to watch these horror movies and be like, wow. And, and if I was operating from a nihilistic, materialistic worldview, oh my goodness, I would. I mean, I would get, have some kind of anxiety attack every time I watch these things. But because I know God wins, um, and he and he's victorious right now, it's 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 a little different. It's it's a it's fun to watch and it's fun to analyze and, and kind of pick a, it pick it apart. And it and it's interesting in that sense because. Horror culturally is typically used to make a point. It's more about the metatextual commentary than it is the petrifying nature of of the material. And I mean, you and I just talked like extensively. I mean, I talked extensively just about nostalgia criticism. And and then you're talking about like the dangers of being sucked into petrifying things, like the self-criticism of the movie. All of that is at the at the expense of it being a horror film. Uh, not the expense, at the benefit of it being a horror film. Mm-hmm. Because the reality is, is these things are scary. You could take, I mean, we mentioned it in the MPAA rating, the, the, the content awareness part, that like there's a paranormal supernatural aspect. But you could take that out and this movie would still be scary. Mm-hmm. Because the reality is, is that these people are struggling with very real things. I mean, true crime podcasts, man, are huge. People are just fascinated with 
horribly depraved things. And I think in some degree, there is an appropriate awareness that should be had in these things. They kind of keep us recognizing that this place, this age we're living in, it's it's not the age we're, we're staying. You know, don't build your treasures here. You don't want to know why? Because Ted Bundy existed here. <laughs> like, don't build your treasures on this on this age. You build you you build your treasures in heaven and look to the treasures of heaven. There are certain horror directors and writers that I have been sorely disappointed by what they've put in their movies. I I think it's somewhat clear, but maybe I haven't just written a maybe I need to just write a piece about it. But like personally, like I don't like watching movies with nudity. Like at all. I want to cover up nakedness. I don't want to be exposed to it. And I think there's something deeply sick about a director who would not only expose someone's nakedness, but then invite an audience to, to do so. But I think, and, and, and I mean that, but not as an excuse, but more like, listen, hear me out. But there are certain horror directors that they're talking about something that's really important for us to talking about. In fact, some of their stuff might be taboo in the form of we don't want to be publicly talking about these things. And yet by using the form of horror and using maybe zombies, for instance, to talk about taboo issues, you you actually kind of have this framework of seeing like, this is how petrifying these things are for some people because of what they endure. I understand I'm being a bit vague here. I just don't want to name drop directors for the sake of slander, I don't want to do that. And I also don't want to name drop movies to make people interested in going to see these movies. But I mean, just take the fact that like this movie we're talking about Sinister is quite scary and has these super eight reels. Like the reality is, is that, and I didn't put this in the, in this trivia section because I felt like it might be a bit too much, but I, I'm going to mention it here. The super eight scenes and, and, and murders in the, in the movie are modeled after what pretty much happened after super eight became a thing there were a lot of weird snuff films that were produced that were fake but some of them were actual real murders that people just recorded and that's sick that's really wrong that's sinful that's horrible the reality is though is that like that exists and you can't just ignore it you have to fight sin in all of its forms we can't just exist and say like, well, I have a nice home and I have these beautiful kids and my wife is wonderful and I know that I'll have dinner tonight. Everything's fine. No, it's not fine. You need to go out and make disciples because there are people who die every minute who don't know the gospel and are just lost. And they're, and before they're lost, they're living life, sinning and doing terrible things that affect everybody. And so to me, I think horror has that benefit. I think this movie actually, as much as it has a light criticism of people who watch horror movies, because <laughs> Ellison starts the first Super 8 and then watches like two more <laughs> and stays up all night investigating them. But I do think there is an awareness of like, it needs to be engaged. So I, I don't know. that that I let's Call that what you will. It's not like I'm saying people need to be like, like watching horror movies, but I do think horror movies can give people a platform to share difficult things in their life. Uh, and if you're not doing it that way, then you need to read the Bible and share difficult things in your life. I, I think there's this idea that, you know, if, if, if we're talking about raising kids that, Hey, as long as I protect them from the world, that they're going to be safe, they're going to be okay. And that's, that's going to lead to them becoming just mature young men and women. And it's actually the opposite in, in, yeah. in, in, a, in a healthy way 
there should be ex- exposure to the pain of the world. Parents can't protect the children from themselves. Like parents are still sinners. Mm-hmm. So they need to, they need, there needs to be an awareness of building up defenses, biblical defenses against sin and suffering and pain. Um, there are practical things, but biblical is definitely, I mean, we're a Christian podcast. We will stand by that. That's usually the best tools and building up treasures in heaven. Don't get comfy on this earth. Yeah. You can't get comfy here. It, it's folly to think that we're going to protect kid, kids from everything and, and, and that we should just drown out the dark side of, of the world. But we, we need to, I think there's a place where we can be balanced as believers and understand that we live in a fallen, sinful world that has incredible evil in it, but there is hope and, and, and hope that surpasses all understanding in Christ. There is yeah. a, a, a savior who has come for, for sinners like you and me, Melvin, and, and everybody who calls on the name of the Lord. So yeah, it's, 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 I, I think horror movies can really open up that, that conversation. That's why I've actually been more interested, you know, just looking at your letterbox and watching some of the horror movies that people are watching. Yeah. I got a lot of horror movies on there. <laughs> I, I've been interested in like, man, I, I, it's, it's almost like this portion of the film world that I've, I've, I'm, I'm just so surface level on and I need to, I want to go deeper in it because there's a lot of just great meals to be had. Mm-hmm. In that. You know, I'll top, I'll top, I'll top four of my movies are, are horror movies in some form or another. Um, they look like people as a psychological thriller. Freaks is just petrifying, and the thing is a fantastic horror movie. And then, and that's the Carpenter one, not the 2011 one. And then Texas Chainsaw. So someday we will watch all four of those. And Carter, <laughs> I will be glad to invite you into that world because, man, Texas Chainsaw. Anybody who's never, who you just like the film titles too petrifying. It is a very convincing case for veganism. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Let's move on to the trivia. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Oh, man. So we got trivia here, guys. We got, you know, the spoiler warning comes here. The spoilers are not here, but is the warning is that after the trivia section, we will be discussing specific spoilers. So if you haven't seen Sinister or we've convinced you that it's like, you know, it's a pretty interesting movie and for the record we wouldn't cover it on the show if we didn't feel comfortable basically promoting it in some sense then you know maybe stick around for the trivia and then close out the episode we don't mind if you just pause it go go move on go listen to another show listen to the latest ask pastor john episode check out what's coming out of ligonier apj <laughs> yeah right apj is good stuff and come on back after you've seen sinister but again trivia no spoilers here but spoilers will be after. So first thing a trivia we got is that the initial conception for the Sinister script was spurred on by a nightmare writer C. Robert Cargill had after watching the 2002 horror film The Ring. So man, talk about inspiration. (laughs) I think that fits. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, when you look at this, when when you look at that specifically, I mean, finding tapes. You, you have a writer, and then the ring is about finding watching yeah. something that's <laughs> traumatic, if you want to call it that, and and then from there making a similarly similarly traumatic uh, story from it. I yeah, I can see that happening for sure. Totally works. Totally works. D- during development of the film, it was decided that Sinister was going to shoot for a PG thirteen rating. In doing so, there was there was going to be virtually no cursing, very little blood or gore, and nothing sexually provocative in the film. Of course, as we know, the film still landed itself an R rating, likely due to the dreadful and often emotionally subversive nature of the film as it whips between calming nostalgic memories and nightmarish and grim imagery. 
Yeah, I mean, I my friend who introduced or no, my friend who wanted to watch it uh, after I'd seen it already one time when we watched it the second time, he the second tape, I think it's called like Fishing Day or something. That one, every time he watches it makes him sick. I mean, he just and and it really is because like it's such a beautiful song that plays and then like it cuts into the measure so you don't even get like the full four four measure of the song it like cuts into it and then just this disgusting drop of audio and like the difference between the joy of fishing to like what happens is like it's intense so the r rating i i completely agree i i think an r this would be a really hard movie for somebody to watch if they're younger or not maybe a bit more callous appropriately callous like your knees your knees are a good callous but like i do you agree i don't know uh, do you think this is like fits an r rating fairly for me i think so but i, I think it does i think you know there, there's some r rate r ratings that are well deserved even if there's not much you know of the i guess up up, up front content that would obviously yeah. make it r rating there, yes, there's just yeah. some some traumatic and tough imagery that's that's shown i mean or, or there's just a few uh, four F words instead of three. You know, so you <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that always but... that's always a little funny to me. It's the F word one, but <laughs> yeah, that uh, I, I think it uh, was warranted here for sure. Oh yeah. So Ethan Hawke uh, is cast as a true crime and fiction author, Ellison as author Ellison Oswald, and he's also an author in real life. If anybody knew that i don't know if anybody knew that maybe you do if you're avid on goodreads and you just like reading basically alongside two actor nominations ethan hogg also has two best adapted screenwriter nominations for before sunset and before midnight uh and he's also written three novels the hottest state ash wednesday and rules for a night oh and also he's written a graphic novel called in i'm gonna pronounce this wrong but in day a story of the apache wars so this guy i don't know how he's time to do all these things but yeah, that's pretty cool, dude. He is one of the most one of the most fascinating characters in the film industry. He's I, I can't put my finger on him. I mean, initially he had, you know, he was doing kind of the the, the good looking uh, leading men roles um, starting in the early two thousands, and then now he's just up to some weird stuff, man. He is in. I mean, you look at for, first reformed or, or movies like that. Like he yeah. is a he's a Swiss Army knife, really. He's a he's very talented. I wouldn't put him on the level of some some of the guys in his generation, like uh, DiCaprio or or things like that. But he is he's very talented. He's a uh, definitely yeah. kind of a Swiss Army knife in the film industry. He stuck where he liked, and then he decided in the 2010s that he was going to do horror. I think he did a sci-fi predestination sci-fi, isn't it? It is. And then he yeah. does like a somber taxi driver light with First Reformed. So yeah, he he's just having a good time. So the next thing we got on, on the table here is, although composer Christopher Young was hired to produce original music for the film, the production team behind Sinister dove heavily into the recesses of bizarre music genres in search of the creepiest and most unsettling music possible, resulting in licensing a few tracks from the artists Ulver, Judge Hydrogen, and a favorite group of Melvins, Boards of Canada. You want to tell us a little bit about Boards of Canada? Dude, I love Melvin. Boards of Canada. It is so, it's so like. You sounded like you were excited. You sounded like you were very <laughs> yeah. excited. Too. I, I, Boards of Canada, I think when I got my decade, when I got my, you know, how I don't, decade in review from Spotify for 2020, Boards of Canada was my number one. I listen to Boards of Canada all the time. It's just very electronic kind of 
subdued background music. It's not like the genre lowercase. So the genre lowercase is music that's described as the lowercase letters that you just kind of forget. They're background noises that kind of fill an atmosphere, but don't. It's not like that, but they kind of have a bit of that with a bit more pop. I really like Boards of Canada, man. So like when I saw this movie, I was like, yeah, man, <laughs> they got the track gyroscope in here. It's sick. That probably raised you. That probably <laughs> raised you a point right there. It was probably a seven. Now it's sitting at an eight after you heard that Boards of Canada song. Yeah. And they use it again in Sinister 2. I'm like, why is it in Sinister 2? I guess they still have the license. So I, <laughs> I, I love Boards of Canada, man. So yeah, it, it helps. The next one on the list we have here is that Sinister features a series of Super 8 home videos in which we first watch families enjoy their time together before hard-cutting to more frightening and petrifying scenes. Here's some neat info regarding the actual Super 8 camera itself. So yeah, it actually is a real Super 8 camera. The camera used for these scenes is a Pro 8mm hybrid Beilu, hopefully I said that right, model. From what I can find, it's sort of like a refurbished Super 8 camera, and this style of camera is purposely used for music videos and other such projects because it evokes a sense of nostalgia, which of course is a no-brainer. <laughs> it's a Super 8. Of course it evokes nostalgia. <laughs> that means some scenes set in modern date were shown in digital, and then the scenes set in the past were shot on film. You could add this to the list of two other movies that released this year, 2020, that did this exact same thing as both Tiger Tail and Defy Bloods, also have modern day scenes shot on digital and then the scene set in the past were shot on film. So that's pretty cool. And lastly, the film used to shoot these Super 8 segments came from the Eastman Kodak's Kodachrome, which is known for producing vivid reds, yellows, blues, and greens. So it's just really beautiful stuff. Although these segments are for the most part quite beautiful in their color, even if they soon jump to nightmare scenes of grisly murder, it's sad to learn that this form of film soon went out of production after Sinister released as the camera market was continuing to transition toward digital production than film, which is really sad because like they really do look, those scenes on the Super 8 cameras really do look beautiful. It, it's half of what evokes like the joy of it. They have this very dreamy look, which is how, like what I think about memories, I don't think of it crystal clear in a 4K camera. I, I, I picture colors and scents and, and emotions and sounds and Man, to lose film that just captures that so well, that's pretty sad. Nolan, stop making movies with loud audio. Make more film reels. Come on. (laughs) I think he's one of the only guys. I mean, it's like him, Tarantino, PTA. I mean, it's like the film bros, right? They, I think they're the only guys who are advocating for the the survival of film. So you're just going to have to put up with his... uh, his bad audio work man i'm sorry but he's he's, it's it's him and a few other guys those are the only guys supporting film these days bummer as for the super 8 home videos themselves actor ethan hawk had not actually seen the home video snuff films until shooting as such despite knowing the home videos were all fiction for the movie his performance is somewhat of a mix of him acting and him actually reacting to the horrific nature of each reel. I don't blame him. Those things look real and <laughs> yes. uh, frightening. So I, yeah, not, not going to blame him there. <laughs> I think it would be pretty easy to get into the mind of like, if you just imagine they're real, then yeah, it's pretty petrifying. So that ends our trivia section. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Again, there were no spoilers there. So if you still listening. You're, you're doing great, but we are about to get into spoilers. 
Uh, we're going to talk the specifics of this film. We're going to talk like certain scenes in the Super 8s and stuff like that, which, you know, horror movies like comedies, you don't spoil the punchlines. And we didn't do that for you guys. You're great. We love you very much. We don't want to spoil stuff for you, but we're going to do it now. So if you didn't see Sinister and you want to see it now, you got to go listen to Ask Pastor John. You know, John Piper loves movies. He says it all the time. He says movies are great. That's a joke. He really doesn't like movies, but you should still listen to him. <laughs> you got to listen to him just for Tony Ranke's silk, smooth voice. Oh my goodness. I mean, that His guy, voice. Oof. He's got a voice. <laughs> he does. So go check out Ask Pastor John. We're not sponsored by them. They would not sponsor a movie podcast. They would not. Go listen to them because uh, we're talking spoilers. They would tell us to not waste our life on, <laughs> on movies. Yeah, don't don't waste your life. Carter, I took up a lot of space in that general discussion, so I really want to hear what you think about this movie, spoilers and all. Again, guys, you got to click off. You're sticking around. Carter, go ahead. Spoilers unveiled. Yeah, man. I think that, you know, when we're talking about spoilers, we got to get into the the entity of this film. Uh, yes. That, that entity uh, behind all the, the evil going on is is named Bagul. Bagul. Ba- Bagul is, is a... Pretty, pretty mean demon, not very nice. Uh, none of them are. But I, I think it's really fascinating how I, I told you I, I had seen the marketing for this when I was 14. And instantly when I saw that poster and I, I didn't know his name then, but now I know it's Bagul. And I took a look at it and I was like, oh, my gosh, that is that is frightening. That is I mean, yeah, he's a freak. It, it was frightening, but also so fascinating because I, I had grown up watching uh, things like it um, on TV, the, the TV movie. And for some reason that always frightened me. And this looked a little bit like that, um, a little, little grainy, a little um, just twisted in the head. And so I, uh, it was, it was really great to finally kind of dig into it, dig into uh, the character. And, and specifically it's, it's interesting because whenever we're talking about a horror film, the villains are most, most of the time, Usually, usually related to some kind of demonic force or some kind of a occultic practice, and so mm-hmm. it's it's interesting how even in this movie, you know, like the the Christian worldview is brought up, and and the the occultic worldview is used to explain what Bagul is up to. This guy, this right. demon who takes takes control of of kids and and is looking to yeah just dominate their souls. So I I, I thought that you know. All of that taken into account, usually when you have a big, big bad like him, the movie can kind of lose focus. But this movie uh, maintained its focus and I was enthralled by the the horror of it, whether he was there or not. But he definitely added an element of an edge to the movie. So what what about you, Melvin? What are are the things that really stuck out to you as as you're watching this? What are are the spoilers that uh, you've really been wanting to get into? Well, I, I first wanted to share. Um, so the first time I saw this movie at the friend's house in middle school, I s- <laughs> let me just let me just explain this. Basically, the whole one of the big spoilers at the very end is that the children that are going missing aren't actually going missing. They are the ones killing their families. They are being like uh, manipulated or coerced by Bagul to kill their families. And then they vanish. Bagul takes them to his little personal like universe or whatever. And they kind of just exist in there except for when they want to play hide and seek in Ethan Hawke's house. Again, the dumbest (laughs) scene in the movie. 
I mean, it's not even like they're terrifying him. They're just terrifying the audience as if they know that people are watching in an audience. It's the dumbest thing. I don't know why people do that. Uh, why directors choose to do scenes like that. Probably because producers say your movie's not scary enough. You need to do another scene. I mean, notice there were no other actors except for Ethan Hawke and then kids that were CG thrown in. Yeah, that, that was X. Anyways, I've seen this movie for the first time. And when they put it on at their house, basically I had heard about this movie beforehand. And I said at the start of the movie, oh, is this the one where the kids are murdering the families? And everyone <laughs> in the room was like, Melvin, what? No, I mean, maybe. But if that's a spoiler, now we know. And then, like, as the movie went on, it's pretty clear. Like, if you know that that happened, <laughs> then it's like, oh, okay. Um, and, like, everyone was – I just remember any time there was a Super 8 clip going on, everyone was dogging me for having spoiled the, spoiled the movie. So I just was sitting on that story since the beginning of this episode. Could, just couldn't say it until we got to the spoiler section. I'm so glad I got to start with that. Now, I, I really like the themes in this film. We already talked about them. But there's, like, a subtler theme to this film you know there and 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 there's obviously the subtext of nostalgia and how the film deals with worshiping the past dangerous capacity but you really just like there's a subtler th theme that like really gets revealed as the film continues and you start to actually learn like what's happening you learn that bagul's there and he's coercing kids into killing their families and basically the subtext comes from the children i think that the the movie doesn't really go nuts digging into this but other than the fact that there's this major spoiler, when you're watching the movie, to me, I'm like, okay, if this is written into the story that the kids are killing their families, there's obviously like a subtext area here. This film is clearly intelligent enough with its criticism of true crime, its criticism of nostalgia, the parallels between Bagul's collections of family tapes and Ethan Hawke's collection of interviews. This is a really intelligent script. So why are the kids here? And to me, I'm like, I think it's, I think it's because they're, they're being coaxed into murdering their families because of things like negligence or something. There aren't many clips that emphasize this in the movie, um, except for the first, except for the first Super 8 tape where Stephanie's very clearly off on her own. Like she's on a, she's hanging on a tire swing and she looks very lonely and the family's having a lot of fun, but she's on the tire swing. And then it cuts to the family, you know, hanging. That's juxtaposed against the fact that Ethan Hawke's child children are kind of just like not being taken care of by by ethan hawk's character ellison because he's because he's so obsessed with with the past or with right finding the next cool story yeah exactly and he's so focused on his work that like there's this there's this great scene where ellison's daughter wants to make him coffee so she uses the french press which is always really good coffee makes it for him and takes it over and it's a wide shot down the hallway and you see her standing at the door and the door is huge and she's tiny and the door barely opens up ethan hawk reaches out grabs the coffee and shuts it and then his daughter's just standing there and it's a very lonely looking shot so it evokes these feelings of sadness and uncaringness and that's also alongside his son who has these night terrors and they don't really dig as much into the, they don't really dig into the carrot the, the 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 kids a lot in their characters but you can pretty much surmise that the son has night terrors because it's implied that the that ellison's office was open once and one of the kids walked into it and saw basically murder victim photos everywhere and so he's having these night terrors because he's having traumatic responses to seeing terrible things so all these bad things are happening because ellison's a bad dad uh, for for lack of a better term, 
And Bagul then coerces these kids into murdering their families based on angst, basically. And some trivia that I also didn't include in the, um, there's all this trivia I didn't include I'm, that I'm now including in the episode, but there's some trivia regarding Bagul and how he was designed. And he was originally going to be more like a Willy Wonka, Johnny Depp style kind of character where he was bizarre, and, but interesting and engaging. So you mentioning Stephen King's it, like the classic one, it's kind of like that. Like he wanted, they wanted Bagul to be somebody who kind of draws these children in and then causes them to do bad things. And with that idea, it's like, well, how would you coax a kid into killing their family? Well, tell them how horrible their family is. Remind them that their dad is neglecting them by doing this true crime, crime novel. Remind them that the reason you have night terrors is because your dad left the door unlocked and does these true crime things. And so to me, I think there's, and this is all speculatory, but I think there's a subtext basically about kids getting revenge on their parents. We never really get into that because we're almost entirely limited to Ellison's perspective the entire movie, except for the dumb shots that are like a haunted house where there's kids playing hide and seek, basically. But ultimately, I feel like there's that subtext there, and I find that really fascinating. I don't think people should be particularly surprised by the fact that children would want to kill their family. Remember, Cain and Abel is a thing, and that's very early on in the Bible. It's very early on in the sinful world that a brother kills a brother. And there's also just plenty of other stories of family strife in the Bible. And I think this is, you know, going back to, I want to call back to our general discussion where I talked about the taboo stuff that horror movie can do, horror movies can do. And I think this is one of them. Like it can put to the forefront, like who is at the expense of a parent who's a workaholic? It's the children. The wife can endure it. She's an adult and the wife shouldn't have to endure it. I want to make that clear, but she has the capacity to endure it. A child does not. A child is going to have to suffer with the fact that their dad is either gone all the time or their work is affecting the children negatively. A wife could probably endure those things to a point. It's not like they should or have to, but it's just very different. So that kind of finalizes with the last thing, which is I just don't get the ending in regards to the subtext of nostalgia or workaholism or or this revenge from children. Because like the ending of the movie is that the family dies because they move back to their old home. But like Ellison does the right thing by moving back to their old home because he basically says, I'm not going to do the true crime novel. I'm not going to put my family at this expense anymore. You get the catharsis of them going back to their old rich home that they used to be able to afford. And so it's like the you get these riches when you turn away from evil kind of thing, which is a very is a good thing. But then they die at the end because by moving, that's when Bagul triggers the murder. I just didn't get what that was trying to say. I was curious if you were understood because I I think the ending's fine, but it doesn't make sense to me in terms of theme or message. So Carter, please help me understand this horror movie. I don't get it. <laughs> you, know, you know, Melvin, I think it was a pretty subversive device. You know, usually when the family escapes the home, most cases they're, they're good to go. Um, that's, that's, that's the end of the movie. If, if there is a good ending, a happy ending, they've escaped and they're gone from that home. Um, in this case, it was interesting because that's actually what triggered the, the, the murders and, one one thing that I, I kept thinking about with with the kids, which you actually kind of highlighted while you were talking about them, is it, I, th I think this movie really highlights the danger of being driven solely by emotion, and also how easy easily manipulated kids are. 
and how easily manipulated. And, and Bagul knows this. I think that's why his main target is our, our kids. He can manipulate them to turn against their parents by telling them lies or even half truths. I mean, is Ellison a great dad? No, but he's, he's not a terrible dad. And right. pretty much what it seemed like Bagul was doing was uh, feeding them lies or just taking control of them. Um, and, and really that acting as a metaphor for we need to be weary of being driven by just emotion as a child is. And I think a lot of, I think you're seeing a lot of that in our world today. I think those who would like to maybe destroy something like America, which is not perfect, but those who would like to destroy America, they know that if they can get a people who are emotionally driven without Mm -hmm. any thought or without any counter arguments built, that they're an easily controllable culture, easily controlled uh, society. And I think the same, Bagul knows this with kids. And and that's why our, our goal with, with growing up is to continue to not just to, to understand our emotions, to master them, to understand, you know, and not to push them away, but to be able to master them and have them work for you instead of the other way around. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's so much like a first Thessalonians four, three, like the Lord's wills, your sanctification. Paul then goes on to say, like, set aside your sexual immorality, control your body. There is this idea of like you as as a Christian need to grow more like Christ. And if you ever want to know what sanctification is, it's two things. One, to be more like Christ. And how do you get sanctified? John 17, 17. I've literally, I can't believe I'm saying this again. I've said it several times this whole week. John 17, 17 is Jesus saying like, sanctify them through the truth. The word is truth. So you want to know how to be sanctified. You go, go, go to the Bible. And as you do that, you're going to be able to fight these lusts and passions and emotions that you struggle with that cause you to do irrational and sinful things that you now have control over your body. Like you're saying, like he he's manipulating the children who have no rational ability to understand things. They're kids. That's not against kids. That's just kids are growing to understand things. They're also pretty emotional. So like, but if you grow and fight to prepare for things like that, especially as Christians in sanctification, you learn to, when, when, when the tempter comes by, you can discard him you have the tools to do so. You'll be like you'll be like Jesus during the during his time in the desert. Satan comes by to tempt him. Jesus re- rebukes him with some scripture. He's prepared for it. It's really it, yeah, this movie's really interesting in that sense of like Bagul coercing the kids into doing these things. Um and in that sense it's like yeah, I mean the kids are the most susceptible to it. I guess he could have done the wife. And I mean I guess he spooks Allison the whole time, even though he's not trying to get Allison to murder anybody. But you, you know, and, and, and in some ways, it's it's like the 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 goal for for the believer would be to 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 move out of that place of just purely being driven by emotion, and and, and to not stay in that state, even even if you grow to be the age of Ellison, not staying in the state of childhood, but right. growing out of that, moving on to to solid food, as Paul would talk about the, yes, the the food of. Of, of the word and, and the uh, incredible spiritual disciplines God has given us. Um, Absolutely. And, and I don't, I don't say discipline in a, in a bad, bad way. And mm-hmm. it's the, it's the little things, the little disciplines of, of the Christian faith that mm-hmm. uh, that's what changes the world. And so I, I think that the Christian faith has a lot to say about growing up and, and putting to death our, our old self, our purely emotional self, purely fleshly self. So Melvin, we, you know, it sounds like we really like Sinister. Yeah. 
I say so. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and I'm curious what's your what's your score? Oh, what's my score? You know, I haven't even written my letterbox review, like my update yet. <laughs> so I I'll I'll say this. I think I'm probably gonna land on a seven out of ten. Uh, we don't typically do scores on the Cinematic Doctrine podcast. If you want to do scores, you can follow us on our Letterboxd. I think mine's just Paraturtle, and then Carter. I think yours is just Carter Bennett, right? Yeah, Carter B sixty three. Either one, you'll, you'll find. Yeah, it. so you can check those if you want scores specifically, but or more consistently, you can check those for consistent scores. But yeah, I would probably give it a seven. I don't think eight because, like, I I try to like reserve. Well, I mean, I'd reserve higher numbers for for movies that are well deserving of a higher number. Eight eight is great. And this is good. Yeah, eight is it is great. I think this is a good movie. I think it's I think it's closer to an eight than a six to 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 sound like Anthony Fantano, the needle drop. But for for uh, the seven, I think just fits that good clever aspect of the movie because there's some things that are a little like I already talked about the haunted house thing, but also there's sort of this emphasis on like when they move into the town that the town might treat them poorly because they're coming in to disrupt the police work. So like one of the opening scenes is that the police officers like don't like we don't want you here because uh, we did a fine job investigating this this thing. We're good police officers. And then Ellison uh, with his charm says, well, some police officers don't do their job right. <laughs> and so it's like, OK, they're not going to get along. And then the, the officers are basically gone. One of them comes back as a helpful plot device. But then like, yeah, it just doesn't like there's not talk of the town towards the end of the movie they're leaving and the police officer says like you're leaving or was the townspeople treating you poorly because that's i don't want that in my town i want people to treat you right and it's like we don't we never met any townspeople <laughs> like there's nobody there uh, why is this something that keeps coming up uh, it's probably layover from the script um but when you got a three million dollar budget there's only so much you can do so they didn't do a town and there's just a couple things like I don't think the the house they're in. I know they just moved in. They're not. It's not lived in. Like it just doesn't look like people live there. And I don't like that in movies. I think if you're gonna live somewhere, even if you just moved in, everything shouldn't look perfect. Like the table in their living room had these perfectly aligned books. That's a lie. You have kids. <laughs> what do you? What do you? Why does your house look perfect right now? So there's some little things that I'm like uh, a more well-versed director would would spot those things and go we need to make things a little messier and we shouldn't have this stupid haunted house scene so seven solid seven <laughs> I, I i'm i'm right around that range too and i think all in all i think both of both of us can say this is a really well done genre yes. movie really well done horror movie accessible and, and probably too. better than, it is it's, it's accessible it's better than probably a lot of the the fare that we get from the horror genre, at least the the mainstream kind of Blumhouse stuff. There's some good Blumhouse stuff, but yeah. the one interesting thing about horror is it's so easily made. You know, you can make it for so cheap, and it makes a good amount of money. You can get a lot of duds in there, and and this is not one of them. This there's some real thought into this, and so you know, all in all, it sounds like we both really like it. Um, but you know, Melvin, I know that you know this was a good one, but I know. The movie you're really excited to watch, the one that you've really been anticipating all the, all year, I'll, I'll just let everybody know. Now it's it's Hubie Halloween. Uh, oh from my gosh, Adam Chandler, <laughs> right? Am, am I right? I, I know that you've really been dying to see this, and it just hit Netflix tonight. So I think I, I think I know what I'm doing after this, and I think I know what you're doing too, dude. I I saw and I was like, is did it happen? 
Adam Sandler said, I will make the worst horror. I will make the worst movie if I don't get it. Yeah, he's like, if Uncut Gems, if I don't get nominated or win an Oscar, I'm making the worst movie. And I'm like, is this it? I thought the the wrong Missy was it because that's his production company. And that is the worst movie I've seen this year. I don't know why I watched it. I don't know why I watched the wrong Missy. But this one, I like Halloween movies, so I'm probably going to watch it. (laughs) So... I don't know anything about it. I just saw that it went up. I saw it was a Halloween movie. I saw that Adam Sandler's in it. I'm like, okay, it's probably not super good, but I'll watch it. So I guess I guess maybe look forward to it, guys. Hub, hubby, <laughs> hubby Halloween review coming at you live from the Cinematic Doctrine podcast. Yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Hubie Hollow. I mean, just the name, man. The name, it's it's a special Is that special what it is? Hubie? Name. It's not Hubby? It's Hubie. Hubie. It's Hubie, yep. Hubby would be two Bs. This is this is one B. What is so, what? <laughs> it's good to know that after watching a really quality horror movie, we can go ahead and watch Hubie Halloween. That, That's awesome. It's kind of like a palate cleanser. I love it. Thanks so much for checking out this episode on Sinister. Now, if you've seen Sinister, what did you think of it? Did you enjoy the clever subversion throughout the film, or was this film a bit too grisly for your taste? If you're listening on Cinematic Doctrine's website, let us know in the comments below or shoot us an email to cinematicdoctrine at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review for the podcast and respective podcast app at the end of this episode. Unlike YouTube or Reddit, there isn't really a way to let us know how we're doing with a thumbs up or thumbs down, so the best way to leave your thoughts on the podcast is to write a review on iTunes, Podchaser, or wherever you listen. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine also has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. You also gain access to The Pre-Show, a Patreon-exclusive podcast series where we casually talk movies, Christianity, and life itself. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematicdoctrine. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, and Melanie. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. All of this will be available in the show notes. Till next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematicdoctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real. The podcast stickers are the coolest perk, so get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.